This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by two brilliant orthopedic surgeons. We're joined by Dr. Christopher Nansen and Dr. James Ballard. Dr. Nansen and Dr. Ballard are going to talk to us about a number of subjects, total joints and surgery centers, pain management for joints and joint procedures and surgery centers, the migration of surgeries, including total joints to surgery centers, and a little bit more, consumerism and so forth. Um, this podcast today is sponsored by Pacera Pharmaceuticals. Pacera Pharmaceuticals, brilliant company that's done a lot to work in pain management in the non-opioid without using opioids is, is the core of the, of the concept. But we'll, we'll talk today with Dr. Nansen and Dr. Ballard and, and, and their thoughts. Dr. Nansen, Dr. Ballard, before we get started, let me ask each of you to take a moment to introduce yourself. Dr. Nansen, I'll start with yourself. Uh, hi. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, as you said, my name is Chris Nansen. Uh, I'm a uh, fellowship-trained uh, joint replacement specialist uh, in uh, the Portland, Oregon area, uh, and uh, one of the founding partners of our surgical center out here uh, that we developed to do total joints. Um, and uh, and just uh, really excited to uh, to be here and uh, and to take part of this and kind of share some of our excitement that we have uh, around this uh, this kind of fascinating transition that's been occurring over the last several years. Thank you very much. And, and Dr. Bell, you're also an orthopedic surgeon with the Oregon Surgical Institute, this, the center that the two of you and others developed. Take a moment and introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, my name is Jim Ballard. I uh, live in the Portland, Oregon area with Chris. I've been in practice uh, since 2003 in adult reconstruction, also fellowship trained and have been uh, working here and watching the evolution of arthroplasty and organ in the country along with Chris. Uh, and Chris and I partnered up quite a long time ago uh, to work on these concepts, and our evolution has taken us kind of naturally uh, from the hospital to the outpatient center, and we now do the majority of our work in the surgery center, which is pretty exciting, and we're, we're both excited to be, to be here. Thank you very much, Dr. Ballard and Dr. Nansen. Dr. Nance, I'll tee you up on the first few questions, and then I'll tee up Dr. Ballard on the last few questions. The first question, Dr. Nansen, is with OSI, you really work to reinvent how you do outpatient surgery and outpatient joint replacement. Talk about the facility that you wanted to build, what you tried to do. Tell us a little bit about OSI and, and sort of what drove it and so forth. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, Jim and I uh, were working together, and and we're we're in uh, kind of to start out we're we're in different groups um, in the same geographic area and so we we operate on the same day out of the same hospitals for competing groups. So I came onto the scene you know ten eleven years ago and and uh, first moved to town and and Jim and I met and started chatting and and uh, talking about well how do we make this better in the hospital and it wasn't really there was never really a discussion of you know, oh, you're in somebody else's group, and so I'm not going to work with you. It was, you know, let's get things organized and tightened up here around these procedures because we're both busy guys, and, you know, the better we do, the busier we will become uh, because I can't do all the joints, and Jim can't do all the joints, and we're all really needed to do this. And so that's how our collaboration started. And, and so we, we started by generating protocols in the hospital, tightening things up uh, that eventually – moved to the point where we had enough decrease in length of stay uh, that we were able to move to an outpatient center. Uh, and we partnered with a, a different center that had been built in the traditional model. 
And, uh, you know, it was mainly an outpatient sports center. So we had small sterilizers, we had small rooms, we had no storage space, uh, we had no place to really hold patients for a couple of hours afterwards, limited to no overnight capacity if we needed it. So all of these things started to, to germinate in our head, uh, and that that generated uh, Oregon Surgical Institute. And, and so um, big rooms, big bays, hospital-sized sterilization, central sterile department, um, you know, we thought we had enough storage space. Um, could never have too much storage space. Um, and so we, but we built a center that was really more of a hospital outside of the hospital. Um, and, and so that's what we created. And that was kind of, kind of how it, how it led to that. Uh, and so what started this friendly collaboration between competitors, uh, ended up uh, producing partners. And so we're still in separate groups, but, but we still work, uh, uh, together for, for furthering OSI and our goals. So this has gone tremendously well. And, and let me ask Dr. Bell Duane a little bit. Built an outpatient surgery center, really built for total joints and bigger procedures, bigger operating rooms, uh, different ways of controlling pain management. But Dr. Bell, let me ask you just really two quick items. Talk to us about how a day of procedures works here versus in a different setting and why it accommodates you so well. And also talk about pain management and why pain management is so important to your model of being able to control pain, but in a healthy way that doesn't lead to addictions and so forth. Give us a couple of senses of typical day and just pain management. So it's interesting. A typical day starts way before the typical day. So one of the things that Chris and I learned in our collaboration over the years, which by the way, we, we never started collaborating thinking, hey, one day we're going to build a surgery center and and throw arthroplasty and organ on its head and move all these procedures over. This has just been a natural evolution. So we took all these lessons that Chris mentioned from the hospital, and one of the biggest ones is how things start so much before the day of surgery, you know, coordinating with the patients, primarily educating the patients, getting them preoperatively optimized, getting them ready for what's going to happen. So when patients show up to our place, they're already kind of ready for what's going to happen. And more importantly, or as importantly, our staff is ready for what's going to happen. So all the staff that interact with these patients know and embrace their role. And it's so important because the touches these patients have from the beginning to the end have to all be centered on the same goal. And that, that took quite a bit of work to make that happen. There's, you know, there's no overlap in, in process. There's no, no duplication. There's no contradiction in process. So one nurse never says to the patient something that totally contradicts what the patient heard earlier. So the patient shows up and they get checked in uh, because it's an ASC. It's super efficient. Uh, they don't wait very long, uh, which is important for both of us, the patient and and us. They you know they go have a total joint. It's the same way Chris and I did totals uh, in the hospital. It's not like we came up with some mystical way of doing this procedure in the operating room, but we go in and we do all of our same procedures in the OR. Um, of course, we don't take a long time to do the operation, which I think is also important. And then uh, they get excellent anesthesia, recovery. Uh, you know, it's, it's a recovery room. The fascinating thing is, I think, and Chris can correct me on this, our length of stay is like four hours. And, it's, and it is not because we kick them out and wish them good luck. It's because they're ready to leave and the process facilitates that. So overnight stays for us are quite rare. And then our, our pain management process, again, is something that evolved over time. You know, Chris and I collaborate, but we also keep our ears open. And we go to meetings, we talk to people, we hear things, we read. 
Uh, and we've just uh, implemented best practice processes for pain control, multimodal anesthesia, you know, minimization of opioid use, which our numbers for that are kind of striking, actually. And one of the things that's a, an important part of that, and it has been for a long time, is a periarticular cocktail injection. And early on, we had a lot of experience with Expril, which we used. We use other cocktails besides Expril, and we've, Chris and I have collaborated so closely, we've really found probably optimal uh, combinations of all those things. And, and, and take a moment and talk, Dr. Nansen, about surgery migration and what you're seeing now in terms of surgery migration. And also talk a moment, you, you talked about the concept in a white paper that 70% of total joint cases can move to outpatient or should be clinically eligible for it. Talk a bit about migration and that 70% number and, and some of your thoughts around what can migrate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it was um, <clears throat> when we were talking about the white paper and the 70% number, um, it was it was one of those things. Um, it was a discussion, and, and Dr. Ballard and I were we're kind of batting numbers around and, and uh, penciling things out. We go, well, you know, that, I mean, you know, 70%. Yeah, we, you know, we can do 70%. Maybe, okay, this is what I did and all that. And so we kind of penciled it out and said, you know, 70% was kind of, that was kind of like our high goal number. Um, and, uh, you know, reality is, um, it, it is a strange thing these days um, because reality now is probably more 80%. Um and so, um, you know, uh, the, the many things that the pandemic has changed um, in healthcare and, and in the world in general, um, one of them is, is patient interest uh, in migrating to the outpatient space. And, and with the addition of, uh, you know, of Medicare hips and, and now really the elimination of the inpatient only list uh, for musculoskeletal procedures, um, you know, it becomes, um, it becomes a question of, uh, you know, really now who is eligible and the interest of the patients is significant. Uh, I mean, it's to the point where patients who show up with, um, you know, severe sleep apnea and a cardiac history are saying, well, I really don't want to stay in the hospital. And you gotta, you've got to actually kind of sit down and talk to these patients and say, well, you know, you, you have some significant medical issues here and, and, you know, maybe, maybe we do need to take you uh, to a hospital setting, but, uh, you know, fortunately those you know, those, those patients with those types of difficult conditions are rare. And, and so really you've got, you know, the majority of patients, at least in our practices coming in and, and, and requesting uh, an outpatient surgery, specifically requesting to, to avoid an inpatient stay and utilize those resources. And so it's, uh, it's been, it's been fascinating to see something that was kind of a high goal number uh, turn into something that we just blew past. Um, And, and it's, it's amazing. Scott, can I chime in on something real quick? Please go right ahead, Dr. Bell. Thank if you. If you came and saw Chris and I operate, you would think you were watching us in the hospital, meaning if you met all of our patients, you'd be like, this is like a hospital lineup because people tend to think about outpatient totals like, oh, you guys just pick and choose, you know, the superstar patients. So you're doing a couple. And as Chris said, you know, we're doing most of, most people. So you would see a pretty regular cross-section of an arthroplasty population. And we didn't set out... Chris and I, to make that happen, we just set out to create a great environment with great processes. And because we did that, it just kind of naturally evolved to where when Medicare released the codes that we were ready to do it, and it just kind of naturally migrated so that we are above 70% for sure right now. Fascinating. And Dr. Let me ask you that comment on this question. And Dr. Nansen mentioned this a bit. I mean, 
you see consumers more and more thoughtful about where they're going to have surgery, more and more concerned about either financial issues or where's the safest environment, where's the right environment. What are you seeing in terms of consumerism and consumers asking you? In the, in the old days, went back 10, 15 years ago, patients more broadly went where the surgeon told them they're going without a lot of discussion, really, unless, unless it seems strange to the, to the patient. What are you seeing today in terms of patients' discussion with you about where they should have the surgery? I think we're, we're seeing a climb, as Chris mentioned, uh, in people coming in and, and wanting to go away from the hospital. I mean, particularly, like Chris said, because of the pandemic. Um, I'm, I, think, I think a lot of my patients aren't particularly saying that they want an outpatient joint, although our name is coming up more, and they'll say, Are you, aren't you taking me to your surgery center? That happens a lot. Uh, but for the people that don't ask about it, when I tell them that that's where we're going to go, they, they just, they're, they just, they're excited about it. They're like, great, that's a wonderful idea. And I rarely get pushback from people because they, when I explain to them the fact that, for example, our complication profile in every metric is lower than even our hospital, and we had a low complication metric before, uh, that it's lower, and I tell them what their experience is going to be like, then, then they embrace it. And then Chris and I have a lot of people that are coming back, for example, for their second knee or second hip, and I might have done their knee in the hospital four years ago. And all of those people, when they come back after their second joint done at the center, and I ask them, I said, tell, tell me about it, they routinely just rave about the experience in comparison. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that's, um, it, you know, that's been, uh, it, once again, the, you know, finalizing the pathway, making sure that everything's uh, everything's good and, and tucked in, and, and these patients are getting a good experience. I mean, they leave really in not a lot of pain. Uh, you know, kind of going back to the pain control thing, it was um, it's the motive. Number one, it's the motivation of the patient to go home the same day. Number two, it's making sure that that you really pull off a a, a good pathway, uh, and that these patients are comfortable leaving that day because uh, um, you know we've we've got their we've got their trust they've granted us their trust and uh, and you know we we have to you know that consumerism is driving this but we have to produce the product uh, and uh, and that's uh, you know that's on us every day. Fantastic and 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 talk a little bit about and, and Dr. Bell, let me tee up on this person and ask Dr. Nansen to chime in. You've both been very outspoken about the danger of opioids. Uh, and, and obviously seeing tremendous ravaging of America with opioid addictions and so many of them coming unexpectedly following some kind of surgery where people had no idea that they'd be susceptible to addiction. Talk a bit about how you're working and OSI is working to avoid the use of opioids. Dr. Ballard? Yeah, you know, I grew up in an era in medicine in, in the late 90s and early 2000s that was kind of the tail end of the creation of the opioid epidemic where we really, really didn't have a healthy respect. Frankly, I don't think even an understanding of what kind of a problem was, was coming and what we were creating because of how free we use narcotics and that nobody really even thought about narcotic alternatives or narcotic minimization. And then, you know, as, as these protocols developed in the hospital and we started seeing that pain requirements were going down and we weren't needing as much and then things started coming out uh, but part of our protocols involve periarticular injections. I, I remember this is years ago. Uh, Pasir invited me to, to a, a conference in, in Denver, a roundtable discussion where healthcare leaders from around the country were talking about the problem. That's when I first started going. Oh my gosh, I have a responsibility 
to do something about this. And I, and it was, it's not just periarticular injections. I, I needed to address this kind of holistically. Chris and I kind of introduced that into our collaboration and, and at OSI, it was one of the founding ideas, obviously that we really wanted that to be part of it. But again, because of it's the process that we developed, that's holistic is the best word. The narcotic minimization has kind of happened uh, organically almost, although we do a couple of things uh, to push it, but, but it's kind of happened. It's not like we just are, you know, leaving people high and dry. As Chris said, every day we operate, we've got to leave people with a good product and our process has allowed that. You know, one more quick thing, kind of a fascinating statistic. Um, so we, we do a, we do a low dose spinal anesthesia for our hip replacement patients. Um, and, uh, and so we'll use a milliliter of bupivacaine um, for our spinal, uh, and then we'll do our good periarticular cocktail, um, and uh, you know with the Dexpril and the Toradol and, and and those types of things. We have about 55% of our total hip patients never receive a narcotic in their entire episode of care, and that includes anesthesia. Um, so it, it not one dose of narcotic, 55% of our total hip patients. Uh, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, and, you, and, and that's part of why they're doing so well. You would think we were making that up and it, we're not. And it's, it's, it is as a, when we see that data, it's as amazing to us as it sounds. And, uh, you know, we, we just have the right process in place. And I think that's, that's a fabulous commentary on, on what any, and we're not the only ones that can do this, right? Other people, Canon are doing the same thing. And how do you work with anesthesia to avoid narcotics? Is that easy to do today, or how does that work? Well, I'll start, and I'll let Chris finish that. So one of the key things about anesthesia is that we involved, well, first of all, we, we selected who we wanted. So we picked who we considered uh, to be the best outpatient anesthesiologist in, in the Portland metro area. And then we, we showed them deep respect, which they deserve, by bringing them to the table, so from the beginning, they have a seat at the table just like Chris or I have a seat at the table, and we lean heavily on their expertise and, and get them involved, and then so, so we, we developed their protocols with them, and then we standardized it so that when you come to OSI for a hip or a knee, it doesn't matter who the doctor is. You, you get an OSI hip or you get an OSI knee, and the anesthetic approach is the same, and the post-operative approach is the same regardless of physician. It's a collaboration, really. That it's it's making sure that you bring anesthesia to the table. Anesthesia is not something that you know that, that just shows up and performs uh, any more than you know your surgeon is is the person that just shows up and performs. It's uh, you know there's a method uh, and there's a way to it, and uh, and they're 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 an integral part of that. Take a moment on sort of the issue of. Right. You've made anesthesia clearly a part of the team early on. Everybody's got to be on board that this is how we're doing these. We're very intentional about trying to avoid and not use opioids or, or, or if not totally not use them, totally reduce the use of them as much as possible. And so very, very focused and intentional. Talk a little bit about, and uh, Dr. Bauer, let me turn to you here and I'll turn back to um, Dr. Nansen for the last question. Uh, a moment on how COVID impacted your facility and what are you seeing today versus six months ago? Give us a sense of how COVID's impacted the facilities. Oh, COVID. Good grief. We could have a whole separate podcast on COVID, couldn't we? Um, well, COVID affected our facility because healthcare, elective surgery in Oregon was shut down for a month and a half. Um, but, COVID, but OSI provided 
like like uh, all surgery centers, I think, provided a, a safe place for people even during that shutdown for emergent and urgent procedures. We we still do a lot of trauma at our place and a, a couple other things that needed to happen. But then when when co when we started getting relaxing of the elective procedure uh, shutdown, uh, OSI was a fabulous place to be because obviously it's not a hospital, right? There's there's no ER, there's no uh, pass through of COVID patients, we, we sat down collaboratively again, like we always do, and we had a meeting for a couple of hours and, and laid out how we were going to handle patients and screening. So we, you know, we decided on the patient testing and we decided on, you know, lim- all these common sense things, limiting people that were in the center that, that weren't the patient themselves, you know, when family could even be in the center, et cetera. And we just revamped our protocols. And then, you know, our, our experience with COVID obviously has been fantastic as far as, you know, Little, if any, I don't think I haven't heard of any patients convert down uh, postoperatively to become COVID positive, and people appreciate that. And and when they, there's a lot of, it's not being expressed because there's a lot of fear and anxiety among patients about seeking healthcare during the pandemic, and, and Chris and I are seeing that even even now. And 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 when they hear, when they finally get the courage up, or they're ready to do something, and then we tell them, hey, good news. Yeah, I'm going to take care of you in a, in a spot away from the hospital. It just increases their confidence to continue returning to get their care. And, and what about sort of rehab? You guys are doing big procedures, total joints, where traditionally people would be released to rehab, you know, and, and to, to uh, offered to a, a treatment facility to for, for post-surgery rehabilitation. What are you seeing today, and how are you managing patient fears related to those issues? Um, you, you know, I've got, uh, I, I still have um, a couple of patients that are just, you know, that need to go to facility-based rehab, you know, skilled nursing facilities. Um, you know, it's it's a discussion you have preoperatively. Um, you know, none of those patients are going to OSI. And they're medically complex, but, um, but, you know, it's a discussion you have preoperatively. And, you know, you'll have patients come out, um, not a lot of patient interest in going to those types of facilities right now uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but even if the patient is interested, you really kind of have to dig down and say, well, why do you think you need to do this? Uh, and, uh, you know, what's the, what are the, the challenges? And, and you, you, you know, you have to do a little bit of, you get a little bit of case management early on. Uh, most of those patients find a way to, to have family help them. And they're actually able to do the outpatient pathway uh, when they thought they were going to need a rehab facility. But I actually still have some patients that are sitting in the wings uh, waiting because, um, I'm, I'm not, we're still just not really signing people up for elective cases that are going to park them in rehab because we're just not quite there, um, with the, with the vaccinations and, and, and Oregon's counts are coming way down in those types of facilities, but it, we're still, you know, sort of having kind of everybody in that population in that group, uh, really protected from this. So we're, we're kind of avoiding the, uh, post-operative rehab stays. Uh, and so folks are just going to outpatient PT or a little bit of home health occasionally. Chris? Chris made a really good point, and that, that is the case management point he made. People, Patients will come in and just automatically assume I have to go to rehab because uh, I have no family in Portland. And what Chris and I do uh, is you have to do a little bit of case management. So you tell them, you say, who's going to help you at home? There is nobody at home. Okay, who, who's going to help you? And if you dig enough, people will find people. Oh, my sister who lives in Colorado, or I had one person who had nobody and I said, where do you go to church? And she told me, and, and she talked to her pastor, and the church arranged for people to take care of her, and she had an outpatient replacement 
I mean, that, that's how important we're seeing. So th- this transition is not just for, this isn't for me and Chris. This is for people because our, our metrics of complications are lower. So we're not, we're not offering an experience that's lateral to the hospital. It's, it's a step above as far as how people do and how they are exposed to complications, not just COVID, everything else. That they just do better. So that case management piece is, is really important. A hundred percent. And your point is well taken. I and mean, some people that absolutely need to be in rehab facilities post-treatment, post-surgery, have just, will just keep on delaying this for the time being until that feels like a safer and safer environment. But in the, in the, in the managing the patient, the managing the patient is so important. One last question. It's um, how has this impacted your partnership at OSI? It, it, these kinds of times can put a lot of stress on them. It seems like you guys are still from separate great orthopedic surgeons from separate groups, still really going nicely and, and, and really pursuing this well. You know, just one moment on uh, Dr. Ballard on how the partnership is going. So the partnership at OSI is fascinating because, well, I think it's less fascinating to me and Chris than it is people that hear about it. Uh, but if I look at it from an outsider's perspective, it's interesting because so Chris and I are, are you know, two high-volume arthroplasty surgeons. Our offices are probably a 10-minute drive from each other. And uh, if somebody doesn't come to me, they're probably going to come to Chris and vice versa. And so we're competitors in that sense, but we are partners. And creating collaboration from com- among competitors, I think, is one of the secrets of OSI because there are others. I mean, the high-volume university surgeon in our in Portland is is one of our partners. The the trauma center uh, docs that do totals are with us, and other, you know, we probably have what Chris eight or nine surgeons that do totals, and we're competitors. But when you and when you bring competitors together and synergize that, that to me is where where the secret is. And unfortunately, as as surgeons, we have a hard time with that. I think as a population, and if people could get over that and look at the doc across the street and stop, you know, sneering at them or whatever and, and engage them and bring them in, a lot of great things can happen. And I, I really attribute a lot of our success to that. Yeah, <clears throat> no, I agree. I think it's, uh, I think the goal that everybody needs to realize is that there aren't enough surgeons to do all the surgery. Uh, but our goal as a, as a group, as an industry, as a profession is to make sure that the rising tide lifts all ships and that we're all able to provide the same level of high quality care. And, and I think that's really what we're doing on a microcosm basis here. Um, so, you know, I think our biggest issue right now is, you know, what, you know, what do we, what do we do to, to handle the oncoming flood? Because this is really just the beginning of the outpatient migration. And so, um, you know, we're one little facility in one little corner of the country. And so, you know, the question is what's next and, that's that's what's uh, that that's what the debates are about in the partnership right now. So uh, it's uh, it's an exciting time and uh, and fun to be uh, nearing the end of COVID. Fantastic, Dr. Ballard, Dr. Nansen. I want to thank you for joining us in the Becker's Healthcare Becker's ASC podcast today. Just terrific thoughts and total joints. How you manage pain, how you manage patients, everything you do, just magnificent. I want to thank Sarah Pharmaceuticals for being the sponsor of today's podcast episode. Just terrific work in trying to reduce the use of opioids and reduce opioid-related addictions. Thank you very much, folks. Thank you.